Marquis podcast, and we are really excited today to be here to talk to another one of our writers. We love talking to the writers. So today we have Erin Donahue, who is the writer of the new movie, A Sugar and Spice Holiday on Lifetime. We're looking forward to the film. I'm film critic Rachel Wagner. Dory's here. Hi, guys. Yes. And uh, Erin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. I'm really excited to be here and to be talking about this movie because I'm really excited about it. Yes. Well, uh, what we've been doing the last few months is uh, talking about uh, starting our interviews, talking about this crazy time of quarantine that we've been experiencing. And and uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and what this whole what this 2020 has been like for you. Well, uh, I. It's been a very interesting year. <laughs> I am uh, originally from Rhode Island. I grew up just a little bit outside of Providence. I'm the youngest of seven kids. I've got a big old family. My father is Irish Catholic and uh, my mother is Vietnamese. Um, and I've been out in LA for about the, the past 10 years uh, working as a screenwriter. And I have a seven-year-old daughter. And I also, my husband, um, who is Canadian, he is an ICU nurse at UCLA, um, working in the neurotrauma ICU. So while he doesn't directly, he's not in the the COVID unit, um, but, you know, has to deal with a lot of the sort of um, the realities of COVID in terms of PPE and the risk factor and the exposure factor through his patients. So that has been another little joyful level of stress to add to the <laughs> COVID experience is um, is dealing with that and, you know, homeschooling with an, a very active only child, very active social only child. So um, that has been hard as well with the writing, just trying to be able to get any time to get my work done or, or focus on my work when there's so much other stuff sort of on my brain. Um, but luckily have managed, you know, with my, my husband, when he gets his days off, like today he is off work. So he watches her today and helps her with school and I get to work and do fun podcast interviews. Um, and, uh, yeah, just trying to make it work and get it done and hit my deadlines and it's stressful, but, uh, I'm grateful to have the work, um, yeah. which luckily I actually, I sold this project, um, right before COVID hit. So that was like, sort of, I think it was, we'd been talking about it, you know, I'd been developing the idea with lifetime for, uh, starting in December, but sold it in like the beginning of February and then actually sold another pitch for another Christmas movie to Freeform. Um, oh. after that and pitched that over, like we had met in person beforehand to talk about ideas, but then pitched it over zoom after COVID, you know, we, I was supposed to go in for in-person pitch and, and everything shut down. And so, um, pitched over zoom and sold it. Um, and so for both of these projects, everything has been virtual, like the producer wow. on my, um, on the lifetime movie who I adore, Nancy Bennett, um, we've never met. You know, like we've, everything has been virtual. Um, all of my notes, calls, everything. Um, normally there'd be a lot more in-person interaction, um, but it's, it's all moved online now and it's worked out. So, you know, it's, it's been, it's been good. 
Were you afraid that there weren't going to be any Christmas movies at a certain point? Or were you pretty confident that? Well, uh, from the very beginning with Lifetime, Freeform, that one's a a sort of longer process and a longer development process. So that wasn't as affected by it because I knew it wasn't going to be shooting this year. I'm actually just in the middle of of writing the, um, the first draft right now. So that one I wasn't as concerned about. Um, but the lifetime one, it definitely, from the very beginning, we were very aware of, well, not, not very aware. Cause we had no idea. It was, you know, March when everything was happening and I knew that I had to get my draft in. I know that they have a, a certain timeline. So even without COVID, it's a very sort of like quick turnaround. So, you know, sold it in January, was trying to get the first draft in by April-ish so that they can, they have to go into pre-production. They have to shoot. Normally they would shoot, you know, in like June, July so that it can air in December. Um, And so with COVID, it was very much like, well, how are we going to do this? We don't know how we're going to do this. But then in the beginning, everyone thought it would be over sooner. So it was like, you know, in March, everyone's like, well, in a couple of months, we'll be able to, you know, no one expected, I think, in March that we would still be in lockdown six, seven, eight months later, you know, like that. So it was, it was still like, Oh, we got to get this done because when everything opens up again in June, we're going to shoot. So I, I always knew it was going to, that they were going to make movies. There's always still, I mean, they, until they technically green light it, you don't know that they're going to make your actual movie when you write the script. They, Mm -hmm. they buy a lot of scripts or pitches and not all of them make it through into production. So there's always that. But, um, as it kept moving forward, they just kept being like, no, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get it done. I know that Christmas movies are a very important um, part of Lifetime's programming. And so they just put all their resources into it. And then things kept getting pushed back. But um, but I was, you know, it, it they seemed, I sort of followed their lead. They were like, it's going to happen. And I was like, okay, it's happening. And it happened. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they managed to shoot all of these movies. I mean, our movie was shot up in Canada. And um, so that's how I know a lot of them got done was that they were shot in Canada and people did the quarantine and they cast Canadian actors and there were strict protocols on the set. And there was a lot of sort of budget cuts and things that we had scenes that we had to change in order to comply with COVID and to sort of lower the risk. So less crowd scenes, um, fewer extras, uh, fewer people in scenes and things like that. And a shorter shooting timeline than normal. And unfortunately I did not get to go visit the set, um, which I was bummed about, but, um, but it got made and it's a Christmas miracle that all of, (laughs) all of these movies somehow got made. It's, I, you know, hats off to the production and the editors and, the cast and everyone who, you know, did, did the work to actually get it up on screen. And is this your first, um, Christmas movie that you've written for? It is my first Christmas movie. I had actually written a movie for Lifetime that came out a couple years ago called, um, Drink Slay Love, which was a teen vampire movie adaptation of a YA book. And, um, so that was my first experience working with Lifetime. And had a really great experience with them. And then, so last year, I was, you know, I'm a huge fan of Christmas movies. I watch them all the time. And 
last year had sort of noticed that it was becoming sort of a bigger thing and that in Ed Red Sling where it was like, you know, Hallmark made 40, Christmas movies, Lifetime's making 30, Netflix had made about 10. And I was like, wow, this is a huge market um, in terms of being a writer. And so I was like, I, I want in on this, you know, like get me in on this, uh, this Christmas movie action. Cause they make them every year. So they don't make, no one makes a hundred of any other type of movie right. a year. So I had some ideas and, uh, I reached out to, um, an executive at Lifetime that I'd worked with before and asked, you know, if she was interested in, um, working with me on a Christmas movie. And so I went in and I pitched her some of my ideas and I, one of them, I had watched, um, what was it? It was like on the food network, like the national gingerbread baking competition. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but if you haven't, you need to watch it. It is amazing. <laughs> These people are insane. Yeah, they're and crazy. the things that they can do with gingerbread and frosting and <laughs> like, I mean, it, and, and the, and like the intensity of some of the personalities <laughs> and the drama, it was, it was amazing. So um, that sort of had turned me on to the idea of like, a gingerbread competition and our movie is nothing like that it's very much like a down home sort of like local competition but that was where the idea originally came from was like oh i want to do something about gingerbread baking um so would you describe yourself as a pantser or a plotter as far as your writing do you plan it out uh I, it- I definitely plan it out well i it's sort of like it goes back and forth i just uh i bounce ideas around in my head for a little while and see what sticks. And then, um, and then once like I come up with a concept, then I usually actually go into figuring out who the characters are. So first it's like the idea for the story, the concept, the general, um, premise. Then I have to figure out who are these characters, the main characters, like what are they like? What sort of drives them? What are their personalities? What are their flaws? What are their challenges? And then I plot out uh, the actual storyline um, because I have to, and then I, you know, and, and then you go through a lot of steps with that in terms of the development process. So, you know, you send in, you've got your original pitch, they buy the pitch. And then the first step of any contract um, is to write the outline. So you can't just be like, I'm just going to write the script and see where it goes. Like if you've sold a project, they, they require an outline. They're never going to let you just like go, if you if you're doing it on your own and that's your process, then you can do that because you can sell scripts. It's called on if you write a what's called a spec script. It's like you've written the script and then you try to sell the completed script. But if you sell a pitch where you're just you've sold your idea, then you have to write the outline. And for me, either way, I always have to write an outline. I need to know where I'm going, what is happening, and work out all of. It's like um, it's like a blueprint. You're going to build a house you need to know that it's structurally sound. So you, you know, when, like, what is the challenge here? What is the goal? What is the quest? What are the issues that they were at? And you you put all of that together so that when I go to write a script, it actually sort of frees me up because I change it. It can be very, what comes out in the script might actually be very different than what I've um, plotted out in the outline, but I need to have that outline there so that I can make changes that that mean that it's not going to all fall apart. Um, in the long run. Hmm. So how did you originally get your contacts with Lifetime for, you said, the vampire movie? The vamp- um, well, so 
my I took a sort of roundabout route into screenwriting. I, like I said, I grew up in Rhode Island. I went to Brown where I actually, I was like a huge film nerd growing up. I worked in a video store. I thought I was going to be like Quentin Tarantino. I was obsessed with old Hollywood, all of that stuff. Um, but then when I went to college, the the film department was a little bit too theoretical for me. And so I ended up taking a lot of creative nonfiction classes and writing a lot of memoir pieces about my family and then was actually a history major because to me, history is just stories that well may or may not be true. We'll see. You know, <laughs> some, some of that history depends on, you know, depends on who wrote that those history books a long time ago. But anyway, so I, I did that and then started traveling um, after college and I went to Vietnam where my mother is from and where I have family. And um, while I was traveling around there, I, I uh, sat down one night, I was with my sister and there was nowhere to sit. And we sat down at a table with these four other backpackers and I met a dreamy Canadian surfer and he was supposed to be my holiday fling. And that was um, almost 19 years ago. So we, <laughs> <laughs> so careful who you sit down next to. Um, I mean, it sounds like a lifetime. It's, it is. It me. actually, I am actually uh, using that as a, I'm pitching that a version of that to someone right now. I love um, it. Yeah. Yes. Sure, it's not a, a thriller. <laughs> no. Yeah, cautionary no. tale. Yeah, I know it could be either way. That could be a lifetime movie, right? One of the yeah, yeah the, the, the true crime ones. Yeah. But um, so then we we ended up. Um, I lived in Japan for a couple years. We spent some time in Indonesia and South Africa, and then moved back to Rhode Island for a few years, and was and finally started focusing a little bit on being a writer. I wrote a novel. Um, which I never got published, but just sort of was yeah. like, oh, if I'm going to keep telling people I'm going to be a writer, I should probably write something. Uh, and so <laughs> I was in Rhode Island and I was bartending and um, tutoring and freelance writing and all of those things that you do when you're trying to be a writer. And my husband was, um, he was a, a marine electrician and a sailor and captain, and he was delivering a yacht for six weeks. And I decided to write a screenplay because I'd always, you know, that had always been one of my sort of life dreams. And so I got some books on how to write a screenplay and I wrote a screenplay and I entered it into this thing called the Nickel Fellowship, which is run by the Academy Awards as, um, as a contest for like amateur screenwriters. And I made it to the semifinals. And then right around that time, also, I had decided, my husband and I had decided we weren't really living the life we wanted to be living. So we sold everything we owned and um, got into our V-Dub van and spent the next year and a half driving around the U.S. and Canada. And uh, along the way, that was when I made it to the semifinals of the Nichols. And that got me um, enough sort of credibility to sort of start reaching out to people. And I connected with my manager and he was like, well, if you really want to do this, you got to move to L.A. And I was like, park down the street. Done. So we stayed. <laughs> and, uh, and I got an agent and I started selling, um, selling stuff. I sold a feature pitch to Lionsgate for a female college comedy. And then I um, actually I wrote a movie for MTV called ladies man a made movie which is from that uh, reality series made i don't know if you remember it where like people like have a dream they want to become this other type of person and then they get a coach and they turn them into you know I do remember it's like the band that. geek wants to become a cheerleader mm -hmm. you know um they mtv made a couple of movies 
two, mine was the second one, um, sort of where they would take these storylines that kept coming up in the reality show and made fictionalized sort of versions of them. So mine was about a geek who becomes a ladies man. And uh, so that got made. And then I sold a, a TV pilot script to ABC Studios called Borington, which was based on the time when um, I, the town that I grew up is it's called Barrington and we used to call it Borington growing up. And so the show was about when I moved home to live with my parents. Um, when I was 30, right after my husband and I got married, we actually ended up living with my parents for five months. So sort of off of that premise, I had written this um, show about a woman who moves home to live with her parents. And then after that, you know, just kept uh, writing. I wrote a couple TV movies and one of them was for Lifetime. And um had a wonderful experience working with them. So just kept in touch with them over the years while I've done a couple of other, I did a, I wrote a TV movie for Disney channel that never got made. Also <laughs> still hoping a teen musical about kids at a cooking camp called rock the kitchen, uh, <laughs> which was that. super fun. That sounds good. And uh, yeah, the stuff that I write is sort of all over the place. It's um, I started off doing R rated female comedy much in the vein of bridesmaids and I still love to write stuff like that but I've also done a lot of you know family films um I have uh I think what 15 16 I don't even know I can't keep track of them anymore uh, I have many nieces and nephews as I said I was I'm the youngest of seven so um lots of nieces and nephews and so love and have and a seven-year-old so I've watched a lot of kids uh television and so that's been a fun space to write into as well stuff that that they'll enjoy um and then I also have a my sort of passion project is this script that I wrote uh about motherhood and mom rage and loss of identity and it's called time out and we have uh Lucy Liu is actually attached to direct and star in and produce it so hopefully we will get finance. COVID has sort of slowed that um, process down, but uh, yeah, I'm working on that. And then, um, yeah, I guess most of the, I mean, I have an agent, I have a manager, they're both wonderful. And so they do a lot of the legwork for me in terms of, they get me meetings. I go in, I meet with, you have these general meetings, you meet with them, you see if you like each other, you want to work with them. Maybe they have an idea that they want you to work on. Maybe you have an idea and then you just develop them together and try to sell them. And sometimes you sell them and they don't get made and sometimes they do. And sometimes that connection leads to another connection. They recommend you to this person. Um, it all sort of, and then you use your own sort of personal contacts as well. If you, you know, I live in LA, there's a lot of people that you sort of meet or become friends with that are also working in the industry. And so they can connect you to other people or, um, or a friend from high school or a friend from college, you know, you just try to get your ideas out there in front of the right people and hope that it all comes together. Wow. So you, so you've done a lot of writing is uh, that where some, some writers I think find sort of their, their niche and that's kind of what they, they write, whereas others kind of like to jump around. So would you say that, or are you kind of now sort of, kind of finding what it is is your uh, your specialty and and kind of focusing on that now well I definitely jump around because um mama's gotta pay rent you know so yeah. You gotta, yeah I I will write what 
people hire me to write. So there's uh, stuff that I do on my own and my own ideas, but there's also definitely like, a, oh, hey, there's, you know, this production company is looking for a writer to do whatever the project is. And are you interested? I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Like, sure, I will adapt that, you know, alien uh, <laughs> uh, hooker comedy. Like, sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm your girl. Um, and uh, so my funny. thing is I always try to find, I mean, you know, I, I definitely, I write mostly comedy um, or comedy, dramedy, family films. I try to work on projects or try to go for projects that I have some sort of personal connection with or can find a sort of way into the story that I connect with it enough to want to spend as much time and energy as you need to um, in order to write it. But uh, that being said, you don't necessarily always have the luxury of being picky and choosy about the projects that you get hired to write. But if I'm, if I'm going to write something on spec, which is like when you actually just write it on your own um, without sort of pre-selling it, then those are things that I'm more passionate about. Those are, I would always rather write my own ideas, um, but that's not the case in the way that the industry works. So you have to find things that, and people that hopefully you enjoy working with and then put your own sort of personal voice and spirit into whatever the project is that they want you to write. Um, so it's a sort of a, a mix between uh, selling out and, um, <laughs> and staying true to yourself. So my, one of my writing mottos is, um, either give them what they want or make them want what you have to give. So a blend of those that. two things, um, is how I try to look at it. Yeah. It, when you said that about writing, what, uh, what people want to, you know, writing what people have, have requested of you to write it made me think of a <laughs> so in my day job i am a i i run a corporate blog and uh also a social media for a company and uh so i have to come up with different topics for the blog and uh and when i did a whole series on the ingredients of a particular product and so I had like a series of probably seven or eight articles on different ingredients in these products. And I had a whole piece on just water and, and the water things. And, and uh, I was talking to one of the other ladies who runs the Facebook and she, she was like, wow, you can write about anything. <laughs> yep. Like, just give me a topic it's, it's, and we're good and, and pay me and yeah, that's right <laughs> find a way I will, I will write about it <laughs> yep yeah well, but I mean I've been you know I actually that being said I I do really enjoy Christmas movies so this mm -hmm. has been a nice little sort of pivot in terms yeah. of my career because it's it was fun to write it's fun to come up with these ideas and right now I'm pitching like three other Christmas movies. And because that's, that's awesome. what people, you know, I've, I've sold two Christmas movies in the past year. And so it's like, okay, let's keep this going. And, um, and also because I have successfully gotten one made, then people are more likely to mm -hmm. buy from you. So I'm like, okay, well, if 
and then you you end up working with the same people a lot of the time too and so it's like oh okay you know if you've written you know, this is my yeah. second movie for Lifetime. It was a great experience both times. So hopefully I will be writing another one for them. And it's fun to try to, I mean, they're so similar. There's only so many pieces out there and they are, you know, formulaic. And so trying to find a fresh take on the Christmas movie is challenging for me. So that keeps it interesting. Like, okay, like how am I going to take this um, formula and make it interesting and make it fresh. And I feel like that's one of the things that we've done with A Sugar and Spice Holiday, which is a very much sort of by the books. You know, she goes back to her small hometown. She runs into her old, you know, high school crush and they're trying to save the community center and there's a baking competition. You know, it's got all of those pieces that that all of the movies tend to have. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, this was or this is the first uh, Asian-centered holiday movie that Lifetime has made. You know, there have been Asian um, actors and everything in some of their other movies, but this is the first one that sort of, like, brought it uh, into more focus. And But at the same time, it's just, it's really just a, mo- a holiday movie that has an Asian cast. It's not like, about being Asian. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. and for me, that was important because I wanted to normalize the Asian American experience. It's not, you know, people who are, people don't walk around at every minute of the day living their racial identity. It's, right, you, right. You, you are, but you aren't, you know, um, it's just, we, you know, Asians like Christmas movies too. And it's, <laughs> and it's about time we got our own like cheesy rom-com <laughs> that like maybe might happen to have like a stinky tofu joke or a, you know, a reference, um, you know, to, to whatever or different um, uh, parts of the culture being represented, but it's, it's still just, about family and about love and um and that and so that was that for me has been a really exciting part of this process and lifetime was super i mean they were the ones sort of spearheading it and pushing it because normally i'm used to writing white characters and white stories and usually when i was pitching it i just you just assume that it's going to be cast as white because Mm -hmm. that's what's out there or like maybe it'll be cast like you know they'll put in the black best friend or they'll put in like the Asian sidekick or or maybe they'll even put in an an Asian lead, but it wasn't, you know, a central part of the focus. And so this has been really exciting that they've been really pushing for um, like more inclusion and diversity. And I think if you look at their slate of Christmas movies, you can see that reflected in it. And so I'm, and the, the feedback that I've gotten from the Asian community, once we started putting it out there and the casting notices got out and the previews and the promos and, it's just been so amazing that like how many people are like, Oh my God, I'm so excited for this. I've never seen myself represented in this way. Like I never thought like a lifetime Christmas movie would be like such a huge bump in my career or like level of excitement that people have for it beyond like, Oh, my mom's excited to watch it or like um, that a greater community of people who have, never gotten to experience that level of representation are getting it and it's just and like you know some of the actors have I've heard from them that you know how exciting it was for them to be on a cast and look around and be on set and look around and have it just be like 
so many Asians and we have a wonderful um, director, Jennifer Liao, who also like gave her, you know, put her own vision on it as well and added to that. And so that, um, that aspect for me has been really exciting. Yeah, this is like such an exciting time to be making these holiday movies. I think between Lifetime and Hallmark, there's just been such a big push um, for more diverse stories and voices. And I mean, it's just it's been as a viewer, it's been really fun to watch and long overdue. So this is super exciting. Yeah. And plus, it's I mean, I've seen the the rough cut of it. And it's really fun. It's fun and sweet. And um, I think we captured that balance of the sort of uh, familiar comfort food uh, Christmas movie and keeping it. We've got a couple of little twists and stuff in there uh, that I think make it very fresh and, um, and unique and so I'm really excited for everybody to see it. Hi, everybody. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsors for this episode of the podcast. They're the good folks over at Care Of. And Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. What they do is they have high quality products that meet personalization if you go onto their website, takecareof.com, you can take their online quiz. And this quiz is a five-minute quiz that asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns to help you address your specific wellness goals. It only takes a few seconds. And when I took the quiz, we we're able to narrow it down to my sleep needs being my highest point of concern. And we we're able to get the vitamin plan that I needed for that concern. Care-of's holistic online quiz is like getting a one-on-one -on -one consultation with a nutritionist all without leaving your home. They have products that are formulated with good-for-you clean ingredients that are backed by science. Care-of is super transparent about the research and sourcing behind each one of their products. And you get recommendations come in daily individualized wrapped packets that are perfect for getting back into routine. And I think if you were looking for a stocking stuffer or a gift for a athlete or uh, anybody really in your life, I think that a subscription to care of is a perfect choice. Right now, the seasons are changing. It's important to get ahead of taking care of your immune health. It takes about 30 days for your body to adapt to new nutrients. So now is a great time to update your vitamin and wellness routines to help support your immune system this fall. Care's products go beyond vitamins and supplements to include protein powders and boosts to help supplement your workouts as you move indoors in these colder months. So check out Care of. I think you'll really enjoy the products and it could be perfect for anybody in your life. You're looking for a unique, thoughtful gift. Check out Care of for 50% off your first Care of order. Go to takecareof.com, enter code Hallmarkies50. That's 50% off your first Care of order. Go to takecareof.com, enter code Hallmarkies50. So you being part Irish, part Vietnamese, did you, when you're writing it, did you like reach out to your Chinese uh, friends? Did you order a lot of takeout? Like, <laughs> no. Uh, well, yeah, so of it. <laughs> my my brother in law is um, Chinese American, and so the the father character that's played by um, 
Taima is actually based on my brother-in-law's brother. He's named, he's even named after him, Pete Young. Shout out to Pete Young, if you're listening. Um, so my brother-in-law, Perry Young, his brother, Pete, is was the inspiration for this, the father's character. Um, their father had owned a Chinese restaurant um, and uh, and Pete was like, in, in, for a couple of years, they'd lived in Texarkana. And so Pete was like this Chinese American cowboy. And that was one of the first characters that I sort of envisioned when I was um, plotting this out was him and had actually planned on my, so my brother-in-law is an actor and had planned on getting him cast. Like this was, I was going to be like, I was like Perry. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's on um, warrior on Cinemax and was on the Nick on Cinemax as well. And I was like, Perry, I wrote you this part and everything and the whole plan. But then with quarantine, um, they couldn't, you know, they were only casting Canadian actors or actors that were up in Canada. And luckily, Ty was up in Canada already. And so that was great to get him cast because he's amazing. Um, And so that was sort of where that character came from. And then out of that, just the idea that it was going to be a Chinese um, family. And so I did reach out, though, to... uh, to him and to some other friends in terms of like certain um, Christmas traditions that maybe they grew up with that were specifically Chinese. And I know that Jennifer put in some of her own touches as well, but a lot, like I said, part of it, the movie is not, it's not about, you know, being Asian. So there is that sort of universal um, character stuff. And a lot of it is more just general Asian American. So sort of a lot the grandmother character is based on my mom. We, her name, they call my, all the grandkids call her Nema um, because my nephew, when he was a baby, couldn't call, couldn't say grandma. So she became Nema. Um, and mm-hmm. so I named the grandmother character after her. And she very definitely has my mother's spunk um, and character and a lot of, and same with the mother character as, as well. Like there's some of my mom in her and Susie, the main character. Um, I mean, all of my characters, I'm, kind of I, I always use myself and people I know it's sort of a combination of that and so I tried to put some of my own experiences into her character so it's not necessarily like specifically Chinese but it's some of those comments or or those moments or the things about that you experience as an Asian person in this country that uh, sort of transcends specific ethnicity mm-hmm mm-hmm so with Jackie Lay and Tony Garo, was that uh, who you it kind of was that close to what you envisioned as you were writing for your leads? Definitely. Um, you know, I didn't have anything to do with the casting. Right. But, um, and also like Jackie, it turns out when they told me she's actually Vietnamese, which I was like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, yay. Like, <laughs> um, uh, that was, you know my my sister out there um and uh but when they so I didn't know you know who what what it was like when they were filming like I said I wasn't on set but when I saw the um the the rough cut I was so happy with it like everyone did such a great job and they're totally what I pictured the characters as you know it's hard when because 
the movie lives in your head when you write something and it's so specific. And I've said that that line of dialogue in my head a million times, you know, so it's hard when you actually see when someone else translates that and it's not always exactly what you had in your head, but then sometimes it's actually better. And, you know, and, and sometimes it's just, and it has, sometimes it has to be different because things have to change when they're, they're filmed, but watching the movie, it was, it's really exciting. Like I said, most things that you sell never get made and, or most things that you write, you know, even if you're lucky enough to sell it, they don't get made. So to actually see it up on screen, see that vision come alive as a writer is something that is, is so rewarding and to be able to share, have other people actually see something that I wrote is also really exciting. Um, so I think they did a great job. I'm really happy with how it came out. You mentioned um, a little bit earlier about how um, you, uh, the director working with Jennifer Liao, she kind of put her own spin on certain things. Mm -hmm. What was that collaboration like with her and what was working with her like? I know that you didn't get to go on set, but were you still in contact while they were filming so you could adjust and kind of see what was going on? Uh, I was in contact a little bit during filming um, with her and with the producer because there were moments when they needed a, uh, new lines or character stuff, or there were a couple of um, issues with the cast or, or, or scheduling where we mm -hmm. had to change stuff. And suddenly like this character isn't in the scene anymore. So we need to rewrite this scene. So things like that um, I was in touch with and they would send me, you know, pictures from the set and um, that was great. But, you know, it was, it was very much, for writers, usually, sometimes you, after you hand in your script, like you have no contact and you don't know what's going on. Right. It becomes the director's film, basically. And whatever they decide to do is what they decide to do. And you don't have any control over that. And so it was wonderful that um, Jennifer and Nancy were so communicative and still made me feel like I was a part of the process. And they would just you know, send me updates and everything, but I didn't really, once, once it's in their hands, the visuals, the, you know, you've set things down on paper in terms of like what's happening and, and a few details about, you know, the, the setup and maybe some of the decorate, like the, the scene specifics, but then they, you know, you've got the designer and the costume designers or the um, set designers who are, putting all of that stuff and their own vision onto it. And then the director, however, they decide to shoot a scene and the pacing and the performances of the actors and things like that. And that was all her and mm -hmm. she did a great job. And so I think I was really lucky to have um, that level of communication with them. In, in a movie where there's a lot of baking like this, do you yourself end up doing a lot of baking? Um, I, love to bake I do but and and I at the beginning of quarantine I was all like we're gonna bake something every day um this is gonna be our activity you know like I went to the store and like loaded up on all our baking supplies and, and all of our craft supplies and everything and uh but then like you know it takes <laughs> you spend like an hour 
baking something and then you spend two hours cleaning up after the mess that you and your seven-year-old have made. And then you spend like the next three days being like, no, I already said you had a cookie. Okay. You had one cookie today. No, like no more cookies, you know? So like all of a sudden you just have like all these baked goods, just like sitting in your house and you're like already trying not to, you know, quarantine, gain the quarantine 19. Um, and so then I kind of cut back on the baking a little bit <laughs> after the first little bit, but I do really enjoy baking. My mother's a really good baker. My mother-in-law is a really good baker. My husband and I watched the great British bake off. My husband is, a um, he bakes bread. So he's like the, the sourdough, like amazing bread. So there is definitely a lot of baking going on in our house. Um, and I get to count it as research for work. Yeah. It's so you like, two are the reason why the flour prices went up, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, but I will say he's been he's been baking for a couple of years now. It was this was not a quarantine thing. This was a <laughs> my brother is a big baker as well, and he got him into it. And so, um, so the bread baking has been going on for for a couple of years. But yes, we do have. I believe there is a fifty pound bag of bread flour in our <laughs> back room right now, in preparation for the long cold winter. Um, so yeah, lots of. Lots of baking going on here. And it's a is it a gingerbread house competition in the movie or just a gingerbread competition? It's a gingerbread competition and the final competition is like like the there's like three rounds. Oh okay. and so they find out each um round, you know, involves gingerbread or um but then they don't they find out like the day of or like right on the thing right before the competition what the actual challenge is. And then the final one, though, is like the bigger, the showcase sort of gingerbread house. Mm, yeah. So for when you have a when you have a festival like in this film, is that that's challenging? Must be challenging in in COVID to figure out how to do the town festival. Yeah. It, this one wasn't. It's not a festival. It's just the oh, okay. competition. Just competition. And so they managed to and and like in all hallmark lifetime movies like you know the big crowd scene is usually like not that crowded you know like so it's and so with covid it was even less so so it was just like a couple of crowd you know strategic crowd shots of some people from the town watching them bake um so it was definitely that was one of the compromises we had to make um in terms of covid is cutting back on sort of the size of some of the celebrations and the competition scenes. Well, so we like to end our interviews with some fun, silly questions. So, okay. So here we go. So first question, <laughs> what is your favorite holiday drink? Um, anything with eggnog. Eggnog is just magic. I would, you can, add it to your coffee. You can have it straight up. You can um, put in rum. I like a little spiced rum yeah. in my eggnog when you're sitting around the fire. And uh, so, yeah, I would definitely say eggnog. Yeah. So you get stocked up early in the yes. season. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay. What is your favorite holiday cookie or treat? Uh, there's, let me think. There's a couple. Um, this isn't quite necessarily just a holiday treat. My mom makes the best chocolate chip cookies. 
And so, and we call them, because we call her Nema, we call them Nema chip cookies. That's what my daughter <laughs> calls them. And so hers are the best cookies ever. And so when I go home for Christmas, usually I will have many, many of them. And then, uh, but my other favorite holiday treat is there's this Canadian dessert called a Nanaimo bar. And my mother-in-law makes wonderful Nanaimo bars. And so they are, I, I don't know how to describe them. There's like a cookie base and then there's like a sort of, it's like, so basically it's like frosting. It's like a vanilla frosting layer and then it's chocolate on top of it and they're best when they're frozen and they're absolutely amazing and I think it's probably why I married a Canadian um so that I could have that and poutine those so that I could have what are they um, called again Nanaimo bars n-a-n-a-i-m-o which is a town on Vancouver Island and I believe that's where the recipe started so and it's um, it's like a frozen bar uh, no you well I prefer them frozen and but like you can you serve them regularly like you don't have to they're not necessarily frozen that's just my favorite way oh. of eating them um do and they have like so coconut in them yeah Something? it's like a okay coconut graham I've had cracker that base. yeah and then there's this layer that's like you use this thing called bird's custard powder and is it condensed milk or just regular milk and then you put it but it's like basically it tastes like frosting they're so good. Frosting, and then you like melt chocolate on the top. Mm-hmm. There's like and, a ganache on the top. Yeah. It's so good. They're they're amazing. Um, I think you need to work those into your next Christmas <laughs> I agree. Yes, totally. <laughs> that sounds really good. <laughs> so we, yeah. So whenever we go up to Canada for Christmas, I get a lot of those. So that's, um, yeah, we, I, it, they're so good. <laughs> I highly recommend everyone Googling that recipe. And them <laughs> yeah. So what is your favorite Christmas song or carol? Um, let me think. Right now I'd have I've got two that are on they're on probably because they're on the Spotify playlist of Christmas when I say like, hey Google, play Christmas music. Um, these are the first two. And you got like Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is always yeah. a classic. It just the best. fun to sing along, it makes you want to dance, makes you happy. And then uh George Michael, Last Christmas. Those are my my two faves. Oh, and actually, also, I am a huge Taylor Swift fan. So the Christmas Tree Farm song that she put out last year, I love that song. All things Tay-Tay, but Tay-Tay <laughs> and Christmas, like, that's just magic. Very good. All right. Do you have a favorite classic Christmas movie? Um, Classic Christmas movie... I does it uh, does Scrooge count as a classic? Sure. Yeah, movie? yeah, sure. Like Bill Bill Murray. I mean, uh-huh. he's just he's awesome, and I love that movie. Um, so that one would definitely be the top of my list. Yeah, so no, it's a really good one. I love Carol Kane in that movie. She's so good, so funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, what is your favorite holiday tradition? Uh, favorite holiday. Getting the tree tradition. or. Um, it's hard. My traditions are all over the place. There's like the traditions that I grew up with in my family. There's traditions with uh, my husband's family, with my kid. And this year has been 
this year we are creating all sorts of new Christmas traditions because yeah. of COVID. This is actually the first time that we will be spending um, Christmas in LA. Normally we alternate between my parents in Rhode Island and my in-laws up in Canada. Um, and so we never really have a Christmas tree. And so I think that is one of my favorite traditions, no matter where I am, is putting up the Christmas tree. I like big, I like sparkles. Uh, my parents put on tinsel, like all the old uh, ornaments from when we grew up. We used to, we always put it up on the December 18th, which is my brother's birthday. And then we would take it down January 8th, which is my mother's birthday. And we would drink, well, once we were older, we would drink brandy. My father would make brandy Alexander's and, and we had a fireplace. And so we'd all, you know, put, put the tree up together um, and listen to Christmas music. And then, so this year, so we never had a Christmas tree here because we were always gone. And like, we literally, it was like, we had like this 12 inch little Christmas tree that we'd put on the, like the table. Um, and so this year we have a Christmas tree. It's still little cause our house is really small. It's like four and a half feet and it's fake and it's got like, um, it's green, but with like pink spray paint on it. <laughs> and um, we just put it up. I was like, okay, well, we're going to start early. We did it on December 1st and it's loaded down with so many ornaments and sparkles and rainbow garland and uh, um, like, you know, went to the dollar store and got like pink sparkle, everything. And so we decorated. Um, so we ate some, I had baked some of my mom using my mom's recipe. I baked some Nema chip cookies and we drank some eggnog and played Christmas music and decorated the tree. And my daughter is, is really excited to um, finally have a Christmas tree in the house oh, and we put up all the decorations and yeah. we're just going all in on Christmas this year. Cause um, like I said, it's our first Christmas here in LA and my husband actually, he was supposed to work on Christmas. Um, and then, but for whatever reason, got Christmas day off. So we'll actually, it'll be just the three of us, but I'm looking forward to, you know, my daughter getting to like open all of her presents and um, doing whatever we can to sort of make this year special. It was the first year of the uh, Yuletide Zoom call yes. uh, for, for <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> oh, and one of my other favorite traditions is that when we do, in the past when we've, uh, when we do Christmas with my parents, um, all of the grandkids, we get them matching pajamas and my mom a set, uh -huh. my parents. So they will, and then we can take a picture of um, them in their matching pajamas. Um, and this year, since no one can be together, we still ordered all of the kids matching pajamas and, uh, and my mom so that we can, so everyone can be in their matching pajamas and we'll take pictures and everything. Oh, that's um, cute. So that, oh, oh, but I forgot to bring up, I just remembered it, we don't do it anymore. Um, but my family had for a while, a very strange Christmas tradition that uh, we used to pick a theme and on Christmas morning, we would get dressed up in costumes and do a photo shoot. So uh, it all started because my brother who was, um, he did a lot of like fight choreography and collected like weapons and ninja stuff. And uh, one year he was like, I just for Christmas, and this was like back when I was in college um, and there were no grand, like there were no kids, no grandkids or anything. Uh, he was like, for Christmas this year, I just want everyone to dress up like ninjas and take pictures. <laughs> so we were like, 
all right, sure. Like I have a very creative, uh, wild and crazy, weird family. And we were like, all right, sure. Let's do that. So we all got dressed up in like black leather and like face paint. (laughs) And except for my father who was dressed all in white. And we went down to the beach by my parents' house and we like posed with like, my dad had a saber (laughs) and my mom had like a crossbow and I had nunchucks and my sister had a sigh. And like, they were like all of his weapons that he had all of his like ninja weapons. And we like posed like assassins on the beach um and <laughs> That's hilarious so then and you know then we're like walking down the street and like neighbors are driving by and we're like merry christmas and we're like oh my god um so then that actually turned into a family tradition so then we did uh one year we did like my sister had been doing something in asia so she came back with like it was like called asian disco basically and so we were all in the, the vietnamese yai, which is the sort of traditional dress and um and then like put like glitter on our faces and like crazy glitter wigs on and um and took pictures and then we did a a Disney theme where we're all characters from Disney we did animals one year we did uh pop culture icons which has one of my favorite my my father and my mom were um John and Yoko Ono John Lennon and Yoko Ono which is um one of my favorite pictures of them we did I'm trying to remember what other themes we did um we did like a general hospital soap opera theme one year um because my father had like had a surgery and um so he like did that version of it so we did that for a couple years and then with once people started having kids it sort of um became a little bit too difficult to pull off there are now like 30 people in my immediate family so it's really hard to like wrangle even though we don't always all spend christmas together it's a little bit harder to wrangle everyone into it but that we have some pretty amazing christmas pictures from that tradition so that would be my favorite <laughs> Christmas tradition from yeah. my family, I think. Uh, I That's love pretty the fact amazing. That you, yeah, my yeah. family's totally weird, but I love it. Yeah, I love the fact that you did total cosplay uh, for yes, Christmas. Basically. That's <laughs> great. I love that. Our, that was our Christmas theme. All right. Yeah. So which one do you prefer, Scrooge or the Grinch? Um... I mean, I prefer Scrooged the movie with Bill Murray, but yeah. uh, in terms of like classic stories, I mean, I do love The Grinch. The, the Grinch is, I think, probably my favorite. All right. What did you like better, clear lights or colored? Colored. Yes. I like rainbows. I want like someday when we get like an even bigger tree, I want actually like one of those white iridescent um, fake trees. I just I want everything to be rainbow colored. Yeah. And Yeah. I just, I like lots of color. To me, Sparkles. it does not feel like Christmas unless there are multicolored lights around. Yeah, That's I had multicolored I mean. lights growing up. That was me what we too. always had. The white lights are just, they're too boring. I need, I need color. Agree. I couldn't agree more. What about <laughs> you, Rachel? Do you have a preference? I, I, although this year I have clear outside, but in general, I like colored lights out, outside and then clear lights on the tree. Okay. But yeah. Okay, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean to each I know. <laughs> to each their own. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> if uh, I had you... known that before, I don't know about this podcast. <laughs> really should put in a disclaimer. You really need to warn people that you are a clear <laughs> a light. Clear light. It's okay. Yeah. Some of my best friends are clear light people. <laughs> my sister only has clear lights on her tree. It's okay. Uh, we'll get through this we still we love did. you <laughs> it's just a phase really it's good. just a phase <laughs> it's just a phase 
Um, but uh, would you rather be in a snowball fight or build a snowman? Uh, snowman. Okay, good. Uh, would you consider yourself a good gift wrapper or not? No. I'm like, <laughs> just like, there's just too many. I mean, I suppose if I was like really trying, then I, I mean, I could wrap a gift nicely, but like, what's the point? They're just going to tear it open anyway. Mm-hmm. And I have a million presents to wrap. And yeah, I, but I do like, um, for birthday gifts, often like what my daughter and I do for her friends was we would just take regular paper and wrap it in that and then just like throw a ton of stickers on it and she would draw on it and like decorate it that way. So for Christmas, that's too much, but, um, but I do like trying to make it individual for birthdays. That sounds good. All right. Last question. Do you have an ugly Christmas sweater? You're there in LA. So maybe an ugly Christmas t-shirt is better. (laughs) I actually, I don't, I don't, I I do love them. um, But I have never had a reason to actually like buy one. And, but I would love to have one. I I, I should go out and get one. I do have some Christmas leggings. I'm big on the leggings. I like printed leggings. And so I do have a a pair of Christmas ones with Rudolph on them, um, which I actually wore when I went in for my initial pitch meeting at um, Freeform. I like wore, even though it was in in February, I was like all Christmased out. I had like jingle bell necklace on and ornament earrings and my Christmas leggings on. And they're like, whoa, you are committed. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes, I am. I'm committed to selling this project <laughs> you're like you're talking to the christmas ninja yes, you didn't that know is, that is me i'm all out <laughs> all about that well great well thank you so much for coming on talking with us this was really fun to get to know you hopefully we can have you on again another time we're really yes. looking forward to the for the yeah, free for me many more christmas movies yeah. in in my future because like i said it's it's really fun and i think it's you know people really enjoy them and yes it is a level of it's like comfort food um but i think we all need a little bit yeah. of that right now and yeah. so i'm happy to be a part of that experience for people and thank you for inviting me on this podcast and uh spreading the word yeah. about sugar and spice holiday we well, can't do wait so- do you have any social media you want to share uh no mine is it's mostly just personal uh uh, for family and friends and stuff like that. I don't right. do a ton of um, other like promotional stuff on uh, okay. well, that's on good. social media. <laughs> yeah, okay. that, I totally understandable. Uh, so, Dory, how can people find you? You can find me at All the Feels Pod on Twitter, on Facebook, and you can listen to the podcast wherever you prefer. And uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And make sure you're listening to the podcast, to Homeworkies Pod and Homeworkies Podcast, all over social media. And if you're listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. We really appreciate that. And uh, we also have our patron group merch store. All the information in the description. Check that out. And thank you again so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays.